Well, good morning. Actually, would you mind just standing if, you, if you're able to? And Father, we just want to bring ourselves before you today. Thank you for the power, the truth of your word that changes lives, that transforms communities. I thank you that you are unchanging and the stories we read and the things that we hear of what you have done in the past or what you've done in other places. God, you are just as able to do those things right here right now in our day and in our time. And we want to make ourselves available to you. Would you speak into our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we are having a little bit of a mini-series, I suppose, in the follow-up from Easter, uh, talking about the risen Christ. Uh, So, a couple of weeks ago, Paula spoke about how God took a, a bunch of misfits uh, in fact, a, a dejected, unreliable, unfaithful bunch of misfits and turned them into spirit-filled church-planting apostles. Liz spoke last week about the amazing response to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and 3,000 people came to faith in one day, uh, being baptised as followers of Jesus. Uh, and now I'm going to be talking today about how that huge group of new Jesus followers uh, formed the first church and and what that looked like. So we're going to go straight into that and uh, allow God to speak to us and challenge us today. Um, You'll have to forgive me if I have a little bit of struggle finding things in the Bible. It's a brand new Bible and some of the pages are still stuck together. Um, I've been getting increasingly unable to read normal typeset uh, and I didn't just get a large print, I got a giant print. Um, and it's just about readable, which is great. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 2, and uh, verses 42 to 47, which is a, a very often used, actually, as a bit of a blueprint for the church. I've heard lots of uh, churches using this as their strap line or as their vision statement. Uh, it's a very powerful couple of verses or a few verses describing what vibrant, spirit-filled church community life can look like. Does that sound good to you? So come on. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared uh, uh, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God And enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, we've got this bunch of people 
a miraculous move of God on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people brought into the church community. And these are the things that they committed themselves to. It says they were committed to it, to listening to and taking in the apostles' teaching, learning more about God and his word. They committed themselves to fellowship, as in being together. You know, fellowship is, speaks of not like a handshake at the door, but actually doing life together, walking shoulder to shoulder with other people, allowing them to speak into your life, being able to speak into their life. Like iron sharpens iron, strengthening and encouraging each other. They committed themselves to fellowship. Here's a good one, to sharing meals. Um, who in the house likes food? That was a fairly mediocre response, to be honest. <laughs> we, 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 yesterday, we, um, I said, do you know what? We didn't have a roast, and usually we get a chicken. And we had chicken on Friday night, so we thought, well, let's... Thanks, Emma. And uh, so we thought, let's, let's get lamb chops. We don't often get lamb because it's more expensive, but let's get lamb chops. And uh, they didn't have any lamb chops, so I ended up coming out with a half lamb shoulder or a lamb shoulder. I'm not sure if you can get a half shoulder. But anyway, there's this little slab of... Lamb. So that's what we're having for lunch today. And I love food, but there's something wonderful about food that is shared with other people. And the, 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 the fellowship, the conversation, the intimacy, in a sense, that develops with people as you share a meal with them. They were devoted to fellowship and to sharing meals. They were devoted to prayer. Now, this is a really important one because, you know, Jesus had said to them just before he left, wait for the Holy Spirit. And that's what they did. There was 10 days between when Jesus went and when the day of Pentecost came. And what were they doing? They were waiting. They were praying. They were expectant. They were pressing into God for him to act, for him to move. Recognizing that what they were was much more than a social club or a new organization that had to get the news out about Jesus. They were totally dependent on God and his spirit. Jesus has been really clear with them. Don't try and do this on your own. Wait until you are filled with power by the Holy Spirit. So prayer was really central focus of what they were doing. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to sharing in communion together, remembering the cross. And, you know, that, that there's later, as Paul writes to the uh, Corinthians, about laying ourselves before God, allowing him to speak to us, allowing him to uh, correct us in those moments as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare our hearts to share the bread and the wine. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to bringing themselves before God and remembering how their salvation came about. They were devoted to meeting together. Actually being together. It's probably the main reason. I mean, there were technical reasons as well, but back in 2021, and we made a decision, oh, no, it was 2022, that we were going to finish the broadcasting thing. Because we have a biblical call as the church to meet together. And there is something that's significant that happens when we gather to worship God corporately that cannot be replicated it can't be done in any other way but when we gather together to worship. And they were devoted to meeting together, to worshipping and to sharing what they had, sharing their possessions. What did they experience then? So that's what they were committed to. What did they experience? They experienced a deep sense of awe. 
they experience miraculous signs and wonders. Think about Peter, James, and John as they're at the gate and they're on the way into the temple and this guy is paralyzed and he says, could you give us a fiver, you know, or have you got any spare change? And, and they said, look, we haven't got any spare change, but what we have got, we give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he got up and started running around. They experience miraculous signs and wonders. They experience great joy and generosity. He even speaks about people would sell a field to give the money to those in need. There was always provision for what God was doing. And they experienced continual growth. They didn't flatline. They experienced continual growth. So not just that initial 3,000, but onwards beyond that. Now, does that sound like the sort of church you'd be fairly interested in being a part of? You know, I've been asking myself the question. Um, you know, is, <laughs> when you read that, you think, oh, you know, that sounds really rather good. What are the formula? You know, what's the formula to that? What could we do? What can we do to, you know, get that? That sounds perfect. And uh, there's lots of stuff out there, lots of resources available and principles that we can learn. And there's, a, there's an awful lot of stuff. I just did a bit of Googling in the week about church growth and some books that are available about church growth. Because, you know, if you're going to have a church like this where there's constantly meeting and there's vibrance and there's a deep sense of awe and miraculous signs and wonders and there's continual growth. I mean, that sounds fabulous. Let's figure out how we can get that, you know. So you've got these different books. There's a guy called Tom Rayner, or Thomas Rayner, and uh, he talked about the, the book of church growth, history, theology, and principles. There's one by a guy called Donald A. McGraven, Understanding church growth. There's one by Ira North. I thought this was particularly good. Balance, it's called. A tried and tested formula for church growth. It's fabulous. The next one. Lasting impact. Seven powerful conversations that will help your church to grow. And that's by somebody who I can't pronounce his surname but Google the book if you want to. Um, the next one is taking your church to the next level. Who wants to go to the next level? <laughs> what got you there? Well, what, got, what got you here won't get you there. That's a guy called Gary McIntosh. And then there's this one by Craig Groeschel. It. How churches and leaders can get it and keep it. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but anyway. And then there's another Tom Rayner one saying, becoming a welcoming church. And then this one, the comeback effect. How hospitality can compel your church's guests to return. You want them to be compelled to return. I'm sure it's got to do with like coffee and stuff. You know, I don't, I don't know what his principles are. Now, I, when I say that, we've had a bit of tongue-in-cheek giggle about these, some of these titles. Now... I'm not knocking any of those titles because there's probably really years and years and years of wisdom and experience and knowledge and research that have gone into those books and the development of those principles. And there's certainly things that we could learn from all of them. But what I want to, the point I want to make on that is these guys in Acts chapter 2 didn't have access to any of those books. 
any of those principles, any of that research or any of that knowledge. They had none of that. Nor did they have a website or a building or church suite. Not quite sure how they managed without church suite, but anyway. Or rotor reminders or welcome packs. I don't think they probably even had chairs or microphones or or Britney mics like I've got here or spotlights. They probably never had projected words on the wall or a car park or a social media strategy or world-class musicians like we had this morning. They didn't have any of those things and yet they were experiencing explosive growth. So I have to ask the question, if they didn't have any of those things, what did they have? Because, and this is maybe down to the, I don't know what the Craig Rochelle book is about, but did they have it? And how do you get it? And how do you keep it? Whatever it is, I want us to have it. And it's clearly not necessarily any of those things. Those things aren't bad things, they're helpful things, but they're not it. What is it? What did those people have that caused their church to grow explosively, give them favor with the community, cause a vibrance, a sense of awe, cause there to be miraculous signs and wonders taking place, and daily people being added to the church community? Because I want that. They had, and we'll explore these things for a few minutes, but they had the truth and the freedom it brings. They had the reality of the resurrected Christ. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had a desire to be together. They had food and hospitality. And what strikes me between, between the eyes when I read that list is that we in this room have access to all of those things. We don't need more money in the bank for this to happen. We don't need any better musicians than we've got. We don't need a better preacher. You might want one, but you don't have to have a better preacher We don't have to have better chairs or a bigger building. We don't have to change and tweak around with our service times. We don't need stronger coffee. Stronger coffee sometimes would be a good thing. Maybe sometimes we'd have weaker coffee. I don't know. But none of those things are what actually really, really, really matters. And these things are the things that really, really, really matter. We, as God's people, we have the truth. Jesus said... In John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you going to wave your handkerchief, Mark? Shout hallelujah. (laughs) Gosh, this nearly fell over. It is the truth. It is the truth. Of the Christian gospel is the truth of Jesus Christ that sets people free. It is him who makes the difference in people's lives. You and I, we can read books until we're blue in the face. We can run ourselves ragged 
until we've got no energy left and we cannot change anyone's life. We absolutely cannot. We cannot set anyone free from addiction. We cannot see anyone healed from sickness from our own effort. We can't do any of the things that transform people's lives. He is the one who changes people's lives. The truth of who he is and the things that he has spoken, they are the things that set people free. And we have that truth. We have the reality of the resurrected Christ. So Romans chapter 8, a really famous little passage here that people um, love to read. I love to read this little bit. It says, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, the the power of the life-giving spirit, the the power that raised Christ from the dead, which is another couple of chapters later, it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. We have the reality of the resurrected Christ and the same power that raised him from the dead living in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Mark, I'm sorry I said Romans 6, 10 to 11, and I actually meant Romans 8, 10 to 11, so sorry about that. But it says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. In you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you and me. A desire to be together with joyful and generous hearts. So let's just have a quick look at Hebrews. Chapter 10. Verses 24 to 25. Actually, I've got sort of verse 23. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Just a a few weeks after Rebecca had been born and uh, she was still in hospital in intensive care and we were home and we were like exhausted. We have a different sort of exhaustion now because it's kind of around the clock relentlessness. But then it was just, you know, from eight in the morning till when we got back from the hospital. But we were at the hospital every day. And anyway, I was just in the middle of the bedroom, bedtime routine and I was praying. Uh, we were praying in, and um, upstairs. And I started to smell this like really acrid smell. I'm like, oh, that's trouble. I said, good night, Lottie. And I just ran downstairs. And uh, Colleen was in the loo. Ran downstairs. And I could barely see across the living room. Thick, like thick smoke. So the fire was on. 
and we had so it was a, there were logs and then there was some coal in the middle. It was really super hot fire, and uh, the thing that you know you have a little cast iron lever that you do this with and that can shut it and open it, shut it and open it. Well, that had broken and the the thing had fallen down, blocking the chimney. So all this smoke from the heat was just bellowing into the living room, like thick, really, really thick smoke. And, um, and I, I couldn't even let open the grate, like the, the thing, like the guard. I couldn't touch it because it was all just so hot. Managed to get some things to pull it off and pull it to one side. Threw some water on, ran back into the kitchen to get more water. By the time I came in, it was just lit again. It was going. Threw more water on, ran into the kitchen, got some more water, came back. It had lit again. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I threw the thing that has all the kindling out of the brass bucket and managed to put some of the logs on, ran out into the garden and lay them out on the path. And very quickly the fire was gone. It was finished. When those logs were together, the heat was intense and not even throwing water on them could make the fire go out. It kept on reigniting. It kept on reigniting because there was combustion going on as they were together. And as I separated out the logs and just threw them in the garden, the fire dissipated. Which I'm very glad about because we've still got a house. But thinking about this concept of keeping meeting together... Your walk with God is absolutely your own. God, we know, doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have nieces and nephews. He has children. So our relationship with God is our responsibility, and it is vertical. But it is also absolutely communal. And we cannot, in isolation, do this walk with God and live fruitfully for him. We just can't. And we can't burn brightly. We will not be hot if we are separated from the body. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, don't give up on being together because you'll just, you'll just cool off. You'll just be like a log lying on the path in Steve's back garden that's no longer in flames because it was separated from the other logs. It is really, really, really important to keep gathering together. And there was a passion, a desire to be together. And I pray that God will stir in us. You know, we have seen, let's be honest, since COVID, a significant shift in the desire in God's people in Glendale to be together. That's just a reality. Lost, not really, we've gained, actually yesterday we looked at some of the, we pray through alphabetically people in the church and, you know, we sometimes, some people may come off the list, and I think there were five people came off the list yesterday from the A to G of people who aren't really engaged anymore, and 16 people were added. There are people gathering, and there are people coming to Glendale Church, and that's really exciting. And the church, in, in many ways, is growing. The reason why we aren't busting at the seams on Sundays is, I think, because of a lack of a passion and desire to be together. And I pray that God, by his spirit, will work in us and work in people across the board 
who are maybe like those log on the back path that are not part of what's going on and have lost their heat. And food and hospitality. 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And cheerfully share your home with those in need or with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Hospitality, sharing time together, bringing people into your life and into your home is powerful in building God's family, in seeing his church grow, in seeing people drawn to him, sharing what we have and being open and real with people. God wants to take hold of the resources that we have. And the, you know, I just was thinking back to a few years back, I had a, a, a little pity party with God because uh, I had basically gone for quite a long time. This is back when I was single and had gone for quite a long time without ever being asked to anyone's house for dinner. And to be honest, that does happen when you're single. And it, I think, particularly happens in church. Just reality and maybe something we need to be proactively working against. But I felt challenged because I was a bit like, ooh, this is not fair. Nobody ever invites me to dinner. And I just felt God saying to me, well, why don't you invite some people to dinner? I was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> well done, God, you know. We can easily get all money, 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 and poor me. Actually, just be proactive Invite someone to dinner or say, why don't we go for coffee and spend time with people and actually be proactive in building relationships because relationships are really core to, to building God's house. So, you know, there was, they had the truth. They had the reality of the resurrected Christ. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had a desire to be together, joyful and generous hearts, and they had food and hospitality. That's all they had. And God did something explosive through that. And I think there's a, a significant key that I'd like us to be left with. And actually, I'm going to read something that I felt God saying to me on Thursday to finish off, and then we're going to, we're going to pray. But I think there's a significant key in all of this. Um, I've circled the word prayer, thinking of the words of Jesus saying, don't go anywhere or do anything until I've met with you, until I've poured out my spirit on you. Wait for me. I think the significance of that is this. In all of it, God doing what only God can do. And I want that to just sink in. What we need, what we really really, 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 really need is for God to do what only God can do. And those things come about through prayer 
They come about through our waiting on him, through our receiving from him, through our listening to him, through our pressing into him. Remember the old acronym, PUSH. Pray until something happens. Really laying a hold of God, taking the time in life groups, in our times on Sundays, to wait and to listen and to receive from him, to pray, to press into him, and to allow him to do what only he can do. We can take things so far. But it's what he does that changes lives. So I want to just read this that I felt God saying to me. I, I, I said, Lord, what do you want the landing place to be on Sunday? And this had started flowing into my mind, so I wrote it down. I will drink some water first. And then I would like us to pray. And we might spend a, a few minutes just waiting and in receiving mode. Just felt God saying, you'll never need to twist my arm to make me want to pour out my spirit on my church. My glorious church is the hope of the world. It is my inheritance and it is the reason why I came. I am wholly committed to my church and I am ready and willing to bless. I just want you to make space for me in your gatherings. I want you to make space for me in your planning meetings. I want you to make space for me in your life groups. I want you to make space for me in your conversations. And I want you to make space for me in your hearts. Think of what I said. I only do what I see the Father doing. And without me, you can do nothing. The moving of my spirit within and among you is where it all begins. Let me have your hearts. Let me have your time. Let me have your passion. Let me have your devotion. Let me have your possessions. Let me have your obedience. Let me have your homes. And you will not be able to contain what I will do among you. Could we just stand together? And God, we want to... We want to bring you our lives. Thank you, God, that you took that bunch of dejected, unreliable, unfaithful misfits. You poured into them in your earthly ministry, but you took a hold of them by the power of your Holy Spirit and you 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 launched them into something incredible that was all you working through people ordinary normal broken 
sometimes a bit weird people. And I thank you that every one of us in this room, Lord, you have a desire to fill us with your spirit. You have a desire to launch us out into fruitfulness that we might burn hot for you. I pray, Lord, that we would get a hold of what we have in that we have the truth. We have the resurrected Christ. We have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would burn in us a desire for you, a desire to be together. That you would stir our hearts to be joyful and to be generous. And that, God, we would, we would enjoy food and sharing our homes and our lives with each other. That, Father, as we do that, as we burn brightly, and, God, as we... Uh, Perhaps the word is combust as a people. Father, I pray that sparks will fly, that life will flow out from this place, that life will flow out from our lives and our community, from our life groups, in our workplaces, Lord, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the clubs and groups that we're part of. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out upon us And that you would give us the boldness like Peter had on the day of Pentecost to proclaim the truth. And to see whole communities turn towards you. Just encourage you as we, we're going to worship and we'll have a song in a second. But just in this moment too, perhaps if you want to open up your hands before God and just be in that place of saying, you know what, I want to receive all that you have for me. We offer you ourselves, Lord. And just as we worship, if you, you may be in a position where you feel like that log on the back path that's lost its fire because you've been separated out. Maybe you just want to surrender your life to Jesus today. Maybe you just want to receive more of what God has for you. Uh, Feel free to... Do business with God where you are. If you want prayer, uh, come forward. We'll be willing to and really happy to pray with you. Um, And let's just allow God to move among us. We thank you, God, that it is you that does the work. You're the one who changes lives. And we long for you to do the things that only you can do.